0: Hey everyone, welcome back to National Board Conversations. This season on the podcast, I'm trying to take you more inside the organization and see what education leaders affiliated with the National Board are doing to push education forward. On this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jose Wilson. He's a National Board Certified Teacher in New York City, the Executive Director and Co-Founder of EduColor, an organization that amplifies the works and ideas of students, educators, and communities of color through supportive networks and professional development. We talked to Jose about his national board journey, talk about the founding of EduColor and the work the organization is doing to advance education and talk about ways to recruit and retain teachers of color in the profession. I hope you enjoy this conversation and get something out of it. Here's my conversation with Jose Wilson. Welcome to the show Jose, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: All right, so we're gonna get straight into it. If you can give a quick introduction to yourself, what's your current role? brief intro and then I got three questions what's your three favorite foods the last three songs on your title playlist because you a title guy and the one sports team that has your heart and if not sports a movie you can recite line for line so uh let's go
1: okay I I guess I should start from the top my name is Jose Vilson. um I was a long-time veteran educator 15 years national board certified in addition I am um I'm on the national board of the national board and i also have a, a prominent role as the executive director of edu color an organization dedicated to race and social justice issues last but certainly not least i am a doctoral student at teachers college columbia university studying sociology and education in other words i have a lot of hats
0: yeah man you got a lot going on shout out to you <laughs> all right so what are your three favorite foods
1: Okay, um, I'm going to start from, let's see, uh, how about some baked chicken with white rice and red beans?
0: I respect it.
1: Um, Some how special fried rice would be number two, and ah, I could could deal with that. Let's go with um, some good chicken wings with pork fried rice. Oh, man. (laughs) Nice. I don't have that one all that often though. So, um, it's a special important.
0: occasion, man. You got to keep your favorites for special occasions sometimes.
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> all right. So, the last three songs on your title.
1: Oh, no, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to ignore Beyonce for now because she's been <laughs> taking over my whole joint. She just
0: dropped a new album, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I've listened to the album about 10, uh, 10 times straight through, no skips. Oh, so. man. Let's see. I would say um, eh, we could do uh, Drake's Massive. That that was the one bop on that album. Didi Me Pregunto by Bad Bunny. Yeah. Uh, Se Acabo by the Beat Nuts. So I'm kind of all over Are the place. Are all over the
0: place? Nice. Yeah. All right. So you got a sports team that got your heart or a movie that you can recite line for line?
1: I have two teams that have my heart. Um, and you can imagine why. Number one being <laughs> the New York Yankees. Um, um, and, of course, on the opposite side of that would be the Knicks. Um, oh. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the young guys, though. They're, they're doing something. I tell Just a lot, a lot
0: of people that don't understand, like, the Knicks have a stranglehold on New York City. They, like, some people don't understand how much the stranglehold the Knicks have on New York City. I've been trying to explain, like, listen, the Nets might think they're doing something, but they're never going to be. If the Knicks, like once the Knicks are good, it's, over. it's a wrap for every other team for the most part, except the Yankees.
1: Yeah, basically. People don't get that. They'll be all right, though.
0: <laughs> all right, so let's get into it. Uh, can you share why you ended up becoming a teacher? And what we'll pushed you to become a math teacher when, while you was in the classroom?
1: It's funny because I, I think about the story a lot. It really I want to say started at Syracuse University. I was studying uh, to become a computer science, because uh, computer scientists, uh, and try to become a video game programmer. But at some point, through a lot of my activism and other things that were happening, I said. What's the one way that I can affect change for children um, and make sure that they have a door like this open to them? And of course, I said, okay, I could do I could do high school math teaching. But then I was like, how can I also affect dropout rates? Because that was also really prominent in the news when I was uh, in school. And I said, I keep hearing about the dropout rate. What's the one grade I know where I can uh, at least potentially be a stopgap for my students? So I jumped into middle school math teaching, and I did that for 15 years. It was an honor and a pleasure to serve a 1,000 plus students. Oh,
0: man, that's amazing.
1: Thank you. So Thank
0: what did you enjoy most about being a teacher?
1: I would say just the randomness of of the moment. And people don't get this, but, you know, let's say I did not have a lesson plan. Hypothetically, right? <laughs> um, I'm, I know we're not supposed to talk about this on the National Board podcast. National Board
0: certified. That's not supposed to happen,
1: man. Let's say hypothetically <laughs> that didn't happen. I mean, of course I had one, but let's just say hypothetically, right? You still... Need to be prepared for the unknown. You still have to be nimble. You still have to have things that allow for you to navigate the classroom and allow you to be kind of like one with the classroom and the students. And so, I always have these random occasions, random things that students were coming up with, random questions, and I was like, "Oh, so this is what it means to like stress the mind to really be thoughtful about, you know, how to actually teach." Because there's especially too many of my uh, STEM colleagues. I'll call them out quickly. Um, It's always this one right answer. And this is the only way to do it. And uh, maybe a student do it this way. And that one is also valid. But maybe two max, don't, don't, don't stretch your mind, right? Meanwhile, I was like, but what if there are like 10 different ways of doing this thing and they're all valid and they're all correct and they're all complete. So for me, I just found like, okay, I was consistently learning while teaching. And that's probably my favorite part of teaching more generally is like I was consistently finding uh, ways and whether my students were pushing me to be more thoughtful and more open to things consistently.
0: I can imagine middle school, Those middle school years can be can be a very tricky. So I can imagine they test your boundaries and make you learn about
1: yourself every day. Every day. Uh, they made me a better person every single day. <laughs>
0: Did you have any years or classes in particular that stood out to you?
1: I mean, my first year, I I, I tell people like my first day, I had fourteen kids in my first class, and then one of them looks at me and goes, "Oh, you know, this is not gonna last forever, right?" And like by that evening, I had people come in and register. Uh, it was the it was the wildest thing. I know the shorter podcast, but like generally, I found that um, I went from fourteen to thirty one. And I was like, oh, welcome to DOE. This is the life, right? Um, That year stood out to me. There's this other year, I'd say about three years later, where I I went with the kids from sixth to seventh to eighth grade. So as I was growing in my own profession, I was actually growing with this class. And they tried to take me away from the class so I could focus on full-time math instructional coaching. But I'm here like, no, I don't want to just do it. Like, I need to have a model, and I need to be a model for the thing that I'm out there trying to tell people like what we're going to be doing. So I kept that class and it was really something where we bonded for three whole years together. And it was really dope. I, I've, I'm i still um, I still keep up with the majority of those students to this day. So and it's interesting, like I think about how many students ended up becoming educators. I think I have about 11 or 12. Which is a pretty good number for me, uh, all things considered, and it's only middle school, right? So, hey, um, beautiful things.
0: Yeah, man. And I feel like it would have been a disservice to take you take you away from the students for real, for real. Like they, they like coming from that side would have been like, yo, they've known you for three years, and then all of a sudden, middle of their third year, they're gonna rip you away. That would have been wrong
1: for them. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so,
0: what pushed you to become board certified? What was your journey like?
1: <laughs> I know Peggy's gonna listen to this So you know let me just give her a shout out right quick But um, you know I was trying to do the impossible all um, Well seemingly impossible All at once So I think it was 2014 I was trying to do my national board And then publish a book And do Math for America Fellowship all at the same time Oh um,
0: man you a crazy man <laughs>
1: Yeah. And believe it or not, I still haven't learned my lesson about any of that stuff. But uh, (laughs) because as it turns out, like 2014, I published the book, but then I failed at the other two. And I was like, okay, so that's just the way the life is going to be. The second year, I knew what what I needed to fix in terms of my exams. And I said, oh, okay, we're going to try our best. I'm going to focus on this. I got into Math for America but I didn't get into national board. So at that point I was heated because I'm like, what is it about these questions that I am not getting? Like the classroom pieces were, I thought were decent. Um, the, well, the factor four is always the hardest one. Like that, that fourth um, element is always really tough. And then of course the test, I was like, how do I get better at the test? Like I couldn't do any better than I thought I could. And I'm sitting there like, so what am I supposed to do? And I know all these other teachers who, frankly, like they just were not about it. And here I am advocating for the profession and I'm not getting in. So Peggy kind of pulls me aside. And of course, you know, my her, Renee Moore, John Holland, a few other folks were just like, Jose, you've made it this far. Like, we will support you. We will make sure that you get this national award. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to trust you. No problem. But I... I'm going to get myself humble. I'm going to rage now, but I'll get humble again. And I'm going to go through the process. And so, of course, 2016 comes around. And yes, I have my book out. I have the Math for America stuff. The National Board was the thing. So I think it was that November of 2016. Um, it was on one of those nights where I said, I cannot sleep. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. 1 a.m. I was refreshing. 3 a.m. I refreshed one more time. And of course, I saw the confetti on the screen and I just said, oh, my God, like I'm yelling <laughs> like I got that joint. Um, it, truly a pleasure. And I was so thankful to, you know, to Peggy, to um, everybody who was supporting me along the journey, because I really do feel like a national board says something about how much you care about wanting to do this. Right. Yeah. Um, and i've I've mentioned this quote a billion times, but there's this one quote that always sticks out to me from um John F. Kennedy, which is like, "We do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And so I openly encourage folks to get their national board because it is difficult, because, you know, this is the one way we try to advance our profession uh, from a truly professional standpoint. And wherever you go across the country, you say national board, that rings bells, that opens doors um, and people can't take that away from you. So that that's a beautiful thing.
0: So, yeah, it sounds like becoming an NBCT really had an impact on your career. Can you talk
1: about doors that have opened for you? Well, I mean, I was fortunate in that, like I was potentially on that path as is like Coming from New York City, back when I started, National Board wasn't necessarily a thing in that same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I got familiar with the Center for Teaching Quality. Shout out to Barnett Berry. Shout out to um, John Norton and Company. And of course, uh, Ann Burr, who's the CEO right now. Uh, but I was—I finally got to be in a room with about 15 other, like, I guess, highly recognized uh, teachers that were out there doing work, doing advocacy, and specifically talking about the policy and education intersections. And I'm sitting there and they just kept talking about how great national board was, how, you know, it just helps them advocate for the profession. I said, okay, what's this? Like, this is kind of, Um, I didn't know just what they were talking about because me, I'm just like this rebel blogger out there, right? Like, and I'm doing numbers. I'm like, oh, I'm popular. So I, I'm doing dope. I, I, I felt good about all these things but being in that room, I was like, I still have so much to learn. I still have so much to do. And, you know, the I guess the conversation around National Board was like, how can I best model the profession um, from a federal slash national standpoint is through the National Board. Like, you can have all these accolades, you can get all these numbers, you can get like 100,000 like Twitter, Twitter or Facebook followers, whatever have you, but Something about the national board signals to people like you're really trying your best to advance the profession, not just for yourself, but for everybody else around you. Like you are doing the things from the pedagogical standpoint, from relational standpoints, from the equity standpoint, you have the expectations already baked within you. And so for me, I felt like doing that national board journey was just the way for me to like tell people this is what needs to happen in order to move the profession forward. And regardless of what politicians do out there, we're going to keep doing the thing. I hope that answers your question, though.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure, man. You did more than answer my question. I appreciate it. So you said off the top, uh, you're, co- you're the co-founder and executive director of EduColor. Can you talk about any current projects y'all working on to push the conversation forward? I know you your annual summit just passed a couple of weeks ago. How are you guys feeling coming out of that?
1: Excellent. Excellent. It's interesting. Um, you know, at didn't, we have perhaps big aspirations, but only for a small collective of people because, you know, we know that the profession right now isn't where it needs to be from a, um, racial diversity standpoint. And of course, through my research that I'm undertaking now, I'm noticing that so many of the, I guess, the urban metropolitan areas have a, decent, if not good amount of educators of color. But then of course, when you get into like the more suburban or the rural places, that's where you really start to see the diversity numbers really dip. And so for me, I felt like, okay, what? how can we do this work differently? Because it can't just be about recruitment and for that matter retention, right? It has to be about the experiences that so many of us are having. And so Educolor was born out of that understanding that we were feeling like racial justice and social justice were not at the forefront of the work that our orgs were doing um, more explicitly. Like it needs to be more explicit. Cause of course that was at the time when like the black Lives matter movement was really, I felt like at peak with the Trayvon Martin stuff happening fight for 15 uh, dreamers and um, you know, all the United we dream, for example, like there was a bunch of different groups just doing really dope work. And I was like, when is education ever going to catch up? And unfortunately we were not catching up at the pace that I felt we needed to, because our kids were going, they were running laps around so many of uh, of us educators. But for me, I felt like, okay, so let's get, let's get real good about this. So education feels good about where we're at right now. Of course, we're still a grassroots organization. So um, we, we only more recently fiscally, uh, are in a good standpoint but i think spiritually and energetically we're at peak um the fact that we just had for example national award uh national book award winner jacqueline woodson in conversation with one of our uh fabulous educators julia torres that was really good um you think about uh, helen Gim from uh philadelphia she came in Really, with the fiery speech. And of course, she was introduced by US Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona. I mean, like, we were just, and of course, like, you look up and down the roster, and it never, nobody, it felt like everybody was on the same playing field, which you really can't say a lot about, like, too many conferences. It always feels like this is the one special guest we have. And then look at all these sub special guests. No, no, no. Everybody was insane. I brought the heavy hitters. <laughs> I mean, we had really good heavy hitters, but like, even, you know, this is something else that the national board teaches us too, right? Is like, we want to ensure that we elevate educators to a point where they are on par with your, you know, your more famous professors, your more famous social media folks, your celebrity, yada, yada. Everybody's on the same level because we're all talking to each other, not at each other. Right. And so for me, I said, okay, how are we going to make it so that we consistently do this wherever we go? And so um, the Educator Summit was hopefully an example for the hundred plus people who were able to attend. And some of our videos are coming out next week. So I can't wait for folks to watch it. But then um, some of our other work is going to be really prominent, too, including some of the uh, tool kits that we've created in uh, collaboration with the Expectations Project, TruthMattersForStudents.com. That's a dope resource. We collaborated with the NYU Metro Center to Create a culture-responsive and sustaining education guide. So it's like a ten-module element for free. By the way, all these things are free. Letting folks like be able to create those equity teams within their spaces for more institutional and longstanding work. In other words, like we're putting things out there for folks, and regardless of what people are doing out there with their anti-truth stuff, we're gonna keep pushing justice forward. We'll keep pushing the message forward because our kids really need it, and this is the world that we we wish to have a world where they can actually have that conversation without fear or reprisal, you know?
0: Yeah. And like you talked about it, it's not all about recruitment and retention to get more teachers of color in the classroom. So what are some areas that are lacking in the recruitment process for teachers of color? I mean, you've done some research on it. Um, do you have any, any, uh, areas that you can talk about?
1: Okay. He he was a, Here's a more qualitative example. Right. I think about the notions of wealth and how it for too many folks who I speak to um, more directly. There are teachers who they go into the profession and they don't have to worry about anybody else besides themselves and their own accounts. And then there are others specifically of color who. You know, they need to give money back to their tiki, to their mom, to their, you know, fans. And so uh, that sort of kickback because they're uh, so-called middle class at this point often becomes another debt that they take on in addition to the student loans and all the other things that they have to take on, you know, post-college. And so... Um, That is definitely a barrier for so many um, folks who are of color. Um, Even and unfortunately, we don't have the conversation, for example, about our Asian uh, folks are um, Native American, First Nation, Indigenous folks. So a lot of the folks who are, you know, under this big coalition of, of color, like, they lose out on creating that foundation so that they can stay the profession longer a lot because, like, they have to give back to, they have to kick back to their families. So even for myself, I found um, I had to wait a good five, six years before I can really be ready to move out on, on my own because I had to give back to my mom. I had to give back to like my family in that way. And so um, that's one big barrier I think we don't talk enough about. And of course, you know, the second part too is like, just so when we think about hiring practices, I think too often people focus on like the the, the, the test that they have to take. And yes, the test Ought to be abolished because I don't think it really serves our kids well or our student or our our burgeoning teachers well. But then right above that, it becomes about what the person who is in charge of hiring does when it comes to teaching. Right. So you when you go to like a school fair you notice that there's like lines out the door for all those schools that are better resourced, right? But not lines out the door for the folks who need uh, good teachers the most. And so, um, unfortunately, what ends up happening is because of those long lines, the bosses or the administrator, whoever that is, gets to choose and often they end up choosing the folks on the line who are white, right? And so <laughs> the folks who are of color often are, delegated or they're pushed towards like the folks where they're less resourced. And so for me, and that shouldn't, I mean, for one, I think every school should have great resources, right? Like there shouldn't ever be one choice. But then secondly, I feel too like um that sort of push to get educators of color in front of students of color. Um, doesn't do a service to our society more generally. Like uh, the research plainly shows that teachers of color are good for every child, not just for students of color. I mean, unapologetically, um, I went to the schools to try to teach my, my students who are of color, who are Brown, who are black. I mean, I had, it was 90% uh, Latinx at my school. I think 96% of that was like Dominican specifically. So I was like, okay, that's dope. Like I'm here for it. And Whenever I had white students, whether it be Polish, Irish, Italian, whatever the, like their background is, I was still going to teach that child well, and the research bears that out. So that all that to say, like, these little nuances of the relationships that teachers of color have with their students um, is, is not being fostered well. And so too often we still say this is what the profession should look like. And it's very intentional in that way because the people who are in charge of hiring have an expectation of what a teacher ought to look like and then who's going to comply, who's going to make their school look good, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And not about like how can we uh, reframe what it means to actually build relationships with students? How can we make sure that we have both excellence as well as equity, because they both go hand in hand, right? It's not just one or the other, which is wild to me that people still want to differentiate the two. And then third, like being very intentional and thoughtful about having a a wide set of leaders that um, students see. So being able to see like that you have Uh, a black teacher a white teacher a latinx teacher like whatever that spectrum an asian teacher like you have all sorts of cultural experiences along with gender experiences along with uh, uh ability you know diversity as well like all these things really matter and so for me i feel like we could do much much better if we are able to promote that message everywhere and anywhere we go
0: So what do you think the National Board can do to be at the forefront of making these efforts to get more teachers of color into the profession and even get them through the process?
1: Well, I mean, it's evident to me in the last two or three years that um, a lot of what National Board has been attempting to do is have the conversation that I'm having now, which is to say, like, if you can demonstrate that you uh, want to be in National Board, and that you end up getting a national board, then you can't be denied the the notion that yes, you are not just a competent teacher, but a great teacher, right? Like that that's part of what we're trying to do here when it comes to recruitment and retention and specifically being able to show our work. So um, I think what the national board is doing is ensuring that that's one part, but then secondly, um, opening up doors and opportunities for uh, the national board teachers to, especially who are of color, to build one another, create community ensure that we're able to elevate our professional selves so that for example those of us who are black male teachers aren't like uh relegated to becoming deans and becoming but instead like we are able to show like we have a full range of experiences and, and wealth of knowledge that we can bring to any school anywhere at any time. And so professional development too I think that's the last bit is like Creating those opportunities for teachers to actually like create their own professional development and help each other out and continue to build those big communities across the country, across potentially the world at some point. Um, I think those things are real, real powerful. And then of course, creating policy and making sure that no matter who's at the table, whether it be like conservative, liberal, radical um democrat republican whatever state red state blue state whatever that nonsense like nomenclature is what national board has shown is that we can cut across a lot of those lines and get to the part where there is like educational justice where there is educational professionalism um and so there are so many spaces where it is necessary for us to have the professional conversations and i think um that becomes an equity issue too because too many of our spaces, especially with our more educators of color, we don't get enough conversation about what the profession actually looks like for us. And to show that, yes, we we like it's not like we we have to prove anything to anybody. But if anything, is that folks can learn from us and they ought to learn from us.
0: We have a feature on this podcast that we call the shoulder Tap it's when you give a tap on the shoulder and le- to a teacher and let them know they're ready to become National Board certified. So on here, we'll have you give them a quick shout out. So I want to ask you, Jose, who you giving the shoulder tap to?
1: Woo! Um, you know, I got two people who... Actually, let me think. If they're not already, I got four, maybe five people in mind. But top of mind right now would be Lorena Herman who is a was a teacher out in um, Tampa, Florida. Now uh, she's dope. I, she's temporarily out the classroom, but I still think she can do dope work through that. Patrick Harris, of course, is also top of mind for me um, when it comes to the National Board conversation, because I, I think he can help uh, push that energy forward. Um, Jamil Baez out in um, Providence, Rhode Island, for sure. And let me think. Jul- well, I gotta think. So, okay, thought Torres would probably do it, <laughs> <laughs> and like I'm shouting out my whole educola team for sure. Don't mind me, but <laughs> I feel like at least those four uh, could most definitely do it. And of course, Trisha Wright, the homie, out here in New York City, and of course, she has somebody who's right next to her can be like, hey, like this is a way for you to do it too if you'd like, but. Uh, her mind definitely comes top of mind because of the energy that she brings. And, of course, Patrick, because he's also moving the profession forward. But all my squad and the EduColor team can most definitely uh, chip into this National Board conversation.
0: Love to see it. Love to see it. So where can the folks find you on social media?
1: TheJoseVilson.com is my website. And, of course, just look for the Jose Wilson, um on Twitter, on Instagram, soon on Facebook, cause there's statistical glitches there. And of course, if you wanna follow the movement, EduColor MVMT everywhere. So um, that's actually pretty flat there. So the Jose Wilson is everywhere and EduColor MVMT is everywhere as well.
0: Perfect, perfect. Thanks Jose, thank you for taking
1: the time. Thank you, sir.
0: What a dope conversation there with Jose. It's just one of those elevated conversations where you feel validated, but you also learn something at the same time. Anyway, thanks again to Jose for taking the time to chat with me, and I want to thank you for listening to National Board Conversations. Be sure to follow the National Board on social media for any National Board-related updates, and we'll see you next time.